everyone, and welcome to this episode of Spotlight, the Climate Link-Up podcast. I'm Lilia, and today I'm here with Nick Mueno. He has a degree in mechanical engineering from the Waikato University in New Zealand, and is currently employed at the Electric Power Corporation and works with renewable energy in Samoa. And in addition, Nick is also one of our ambassadors here at Climate Link-Up. Hey, Nick. Hello. Hi, everyone. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Could you start by telling us a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, sure. Well, my name is Nick Moyono. And in order to know why I do what I do, it's best to understand the reason why behind any of the work that I do is so important. And so everything comes down to living and working in Samoa. Um, and just some of the stories and anecdotes that are shared around from our older generations growing up and actually physically seeing some of the changes um, here, especially in the villages that, um, that my family is from. And uh, my grandfather telling stories of how he went to school and he was pointing out to one of the beaches across the road from our house. And now there is no school. And, and so obviously there is a increase in sea level rise over a short period of years. Um, and for me, that is something that I took on personally, not just like these stories that were shared to me, um, but just other stories from other people in Samoa that have faced similar situations. And the big question that I was always pondering about is how and why? How do we change this? And why is this happening? And the only two things that really came to mind is, is this is a global issue that is happening around the world. And unfortunately, Samoa is one of the countries that contribute least to climate change. And we are at the front lines and the ones that are most heavily impacted. And so there's, so there's a lot of inequality here with climate change. And there's a lot of reasons as to why things are happening the way they are. And I guess there are so many different whys for me. And I guess the only way that we can or I can contribute to this battle of climate change is to really push forward with the goals of, of Samoa, which is to become 100% renewable by 2025. And so that's using my knowledge gained through uh, my education, uh, using my experience and moving forward with these goals and hitting these targets so that we're able to show the world that even though Samoa is a very small country and contributes the least, we are the ones who are making the biggest changes here in the Pacific. And we're here, we're showing up to the world and saying like, we are not here to just eventually die away. We're here to try and survive because sooner or later, if these things do not happen, Samoa may not even exist in the next 20 years. And so that's something that, that scares me. Yep. I, I guess that's like a little bit about what I do and, a little bit of, of the why. No, that's, that's really great. And it's so important what you're doing. Maybe you could tell us a bit more about where in Samoa you're from and the challenges that Samoa is facing. Yep. So I'm currently from the two villages of Falifa and Siusenga. And I guess some of the main challenges that Samoa are currently facing, I guess if you're living here in Samoa and you're listening, you can already understand the just the random weather changes. And I guess just last week, we just randomly had 
heavy rain. We've had flash flooding in the last year or so, numerous times, and we've had weather changes that affect our agriculture, that affect our our day-to-day lives. Um, we've had uh, warnings of landslides. We've had earthquakes. Just a few days ago, Tonga had another earthquake, and you can see around the world like there's earthquakes happening, and so all of these things add up. You can see globally that's what's happening in Europe with Russia and Ukraine is that oil prices are spiked up high. And for a country like Samoa, being so isolated and so far away from from Europe, that has also impacted us. And I guess you can really understand and see that with the current systems that we have now, we're all interconnected and we're all linked together some way which is not really a sustainable solution for the future. And with moving forward with the climate issues that we have is is becoming independent and it's becoming um, self-sustaining and ensuring that our energy security is solid. Uh, while also saying this, knowing that while these weather changes and these frequency of earthquakes and flash floodings that are happening around, around Samoa, is to how do we adapt to these kind of things and so so there are projects down the line uh, which i know we'll talk about that we are uh, having in place so that's our resilience is more uh, secured for the future oh, yeah i see and maybe you could just give us a quick introduction to different kinds of renewable energy and tell us a little bit about you know what's involved when you when you convert to renewable energy what the difference between solar and wind energy is how to you know store and transport the energy yeah um so here in samba we have a variety of different hydro stations solar farms we have a wind farm uh we've recently installed in the last few years the first biogasification plants in the pacific and other small biogas plants around samoa and so there are plans for more renewable energy technology in the future to reach these goals of becoming 100% renewable by 2025. Um, And so the differences between all of the hydro, solars and wind is the raw material or the raw resource that is used to, to generate electricity. Mechanically, with hydro stations and wind wind farms, you need some sort of mechanical primary mover. So that's in the form of a turbine. Whereas solar farms, you're, there's no moving parts, and that uses direct sunlight to use the sunlight energy um, and then generate electricity. And biogasification is, is also the same, where it uses uh, different types of like wood and, and native uh, wood plants and species to, to generate electricity mechanically. So with these different types of renewable energy technologies, most of them are sensed directly to the grid. And so electricity generated from these from these power plants uh, may be sent directly to the grid, onto the grid through power transmission cables, but also to help with grid stability. Example with solar farms where they're constantly fluctuating. And you can see this on a graph where in real time you can see this will never be showed up on a podcast where my finger is constantly moving. And if there's a cloud passing over, you'll see see the production levels suddenly drop and then suddenly rise again when uh, when this cloud passes over. So to combat these random fluctuations and short fluctuations and to help with grid stability, you know, you need some sort of energy storage. And so we have uh, a six megawatt Tesla battery 
storage installed in Samoa just to assist with some of these fluctuations. And we have spinning reserves at our um, main diesel thermal plants generation station. And really to ensure that when all these generators are connected together to the grid, that they're all synced. Everything is running smoothly. There's no spikes. And so just like in every other country in the world, you, you have your transmission lines above ground or underground. With Samoa being a little bit unique and having different islands around, um, there is a plan for our underground sea cables with Savai and Upolo, which is our two main islands. Um, but we already have an underground sea cable to help give electricity to our families in Manono Island. And so I think that's about a four kilometer or two kilometer, or maybe even less, submarine cable connected with Monono Island and an off-grid system with Apolima Island. So that's our only off-grid uh, system, which consists of solar farm and, and uh, just a small thermal generator. And you mentioned uh, previously that there is this goal in Samoa of using 100% renewable energy by 2025. How are you doing currently? How far along are you towards reaching that goal? Yeah, so that goal is, is very close. Uh, currently, we are at about 50%, um, 50 to 60% installed. If on a good day or a good month, uh, when we have a lot of uh, water storage for our hydros, we have a lot of sun, uh, we have a lot of wind, and our renewable energy power plants are running at full capacity, uh, we can, and we have before, uh, contributed to about 60% to the grid. And so looking forward, there's obviously going to be more uh, solar farms, there's going to be um, more hydro plants, and I guess more grid stability with these additions of new solar farms and solar farms and hydro plants uh, with the addition of tests like energy storage. Um, and so EPC would need some sort of energy, some method to store energy in the form of Tesla batteries or pumped hydro or more spinning reserves. And so that's that's something that is in the works at the moment. And can you tell me maybe a bit about the process of converting to renewable energies? What's involved? What are the challenges? How do you go about changing from fossil fuels to a renewable system? So the transition to renewable energy, I know that there is a global push for, for this. And it may seem like it is easy from a non-technical standpoint just to swap out a diesel power station for a solar farm or, or you know, something that is fossil fuel generating to something more renewable. But technically, there are a lot of challenges. I can actually give you an example of using someone's house as, as an example. So you would live in a, I don't know, like a three-bedroom household with your family and... Um, assuming under off-grid conditions that you would have your uh, diesel generator running to power your, your home. And so the power that you have in the morning, like your consumption during the morning, would not be the same in the middle of the day or in the evening. And so your, your diesel generator will have to run at different capacities during the day. So that's easy because you can just top it up with diesel and off you go. Whereas if you installed, for an example, solar, and you can already understand that there are challenges at night when there is no when there is no sun, and so you would have to invest more in some sort of energy storage, which could be batteries. 
And during the day, uh, when there is not enough sun, um, you would also have to compensate for for the loss of energy and random fluctuations and instabilities. So there are a number of ways to to obviously deal with these technical challenges. And even though I've tried to explain on a small scale of a house and trying to implement that on a national scale with interconnected grids and like thousands and millions of people connected to the grid, there are obviously larger challenges that come with this. So generally speaking, the transition is very difficult. Um, we've had our fair share of technical challenges here with grid stability. And I know historically, if you look on through our number of blackouts and number of outages um, on our EPC website, you can see that, that these are the obvious challenges that, that we've faced. And you know, these challenges are expected in the future. Another aspect of uh, transitioning to renewable energy is having policies in place to ensure that, that not just EPC contributes to you know, supplying our, our consumers with large-scale production, but also having policies in place for our consumers so that they have access to these types of renewable energy technologies. An example would be our government having no tax on any sort of importation of renewable energy technologies from overseas. So if someone wants to buy an electric vehicle, they can import it duty-free. Uh, same with solar panels and various other renewable energy technologies. And so this is all included in the transition, not just from a utility side, but also from a consumer side. And really understanding and sharing the knowledge on becoming 100% renewable and also becoming carbon net zero. And so those are the two things that are involved with the transition. Yeah, great. Thank you. I realize it's much more complicated than it might sound. And I really hope we can learn from, from you guys and what you've done when it comes to converting to renewable energy in the rest of the world. And maybe you could talk a bit about, you know, what you see as the challenges for implementing these kinds of changes in the rest of the world. Obviously, there's going to be different challenges in the, the developed world and the developing world. But what do you think the process moving forward will be like? What do we need to do as a global community? Um, so... You know, technically, we can we can become 100% renewable globally tomorrow. You know, but there are a lot of factors here at play. Um, the main ones being political, with our global leaders, you know, not committing to the promises that they've said during the previous COPs. Uh, COP26 was obviously one of the most important COPs for us moving forward and ensuring that you know the world leaders are accountable to the promises that they've made. So during the COP26, Prime Minister for Barbados was talking about how climate goals can be solved immediately with the decisions of our global leaders making the commitment today. And she highlighted an example of COVID, how, how there is money here for COVID vaccines and um, how because these are affecting people's lives now, the process and transition of these vaccines uh, immediately dealt with with COVID. Um, the same can happen with becoming 100% renewable globally. You know, our, technically there is no challenge at all, but the real problem is is our global leaders actually committing to this. At COP26, we didn't even have other world leaders who are large producers of greenhouse gas emissions, such as China and Russia and other leaders as, as well. And so that really raises a question mark on being a united front. 
and having our priorities not aligned. And so just going again is like, technically we, we can. Tomorrow, if every single global leader said, yes, we are dedicated to becoming 100% renewable, give us the money and give us the expertise and, and the engineers to actually make this happen and work on it for the next few years, it's very much achievable. But because everyone's goals are not aligned and they don't actually live in the Pacific and actually understand and, and see the slow changes to everyday life. It's difficult for, for others to see. Um, and so that's why I'm hoping that through Climate Link Up and through this podcast and meeting other people from, from around the world, that maybe in the future there is hope for us to, to be a united front and actually saying yes to the commitments of climate change and the transition and actually believing and having faith and hope in, in our youth for tomorrow. That's really interesting. It's such an important message to hear that actually we have we have the technology. The only thing that's lacking is willpower. And I, I think we need to hear everywhere so that we can put pressure on the right people to actually make this change. And you've also been involved with an organization called Global Shapers APIA. And maybe you could tell us a bit about you know that organization and what you've done there and the projects that you worked on. Yep. So um, Global Shapers is actually a global network, which is um, birthed from the World Economic Forum. There are over 400 different hubs around the world. And the RPA hub, which is where I am at, is, I guess, the only one in the Pacific now. We, we have other hubs in Australia and in New Zealand, part of our oceanic community. But in terms of being of the Pacific, like just pure Pacific from the Pacific Islands, uh, Samoa's the first. I hope there are more Pacific hubs in the future so that, you know, we have this strong united front with uh, the global shape of community. And also through my role as impact officer, and we've just had our election for global shapers as curator elect or incoming curator, that we really push for various different projects that affect our own communities. And so the Global Shapers RPA have worked on different types of projects spanning education, inequality, mental health here in the Pacific. And the project that uh, I'm working with a small group of shapers is what we call them, doing and conducting carbon audits. So carbon audits is something that is new in Samoa and what the government is pushing for in the future is to conduct carbon or energy audits so that we have a level or a benchmark of how many, how much greenhouse gas emissions for this building or this business so that they are energy conscious and aware of, of how much impact they're having on the environment. So currently with our carbon audits projects, we are at the very beginning. So we're hoping to get certified and we're looking for certification so that our group will be the only certified people in Samoa to conduct these carbon audits and to really help out with our, um, with our businesses who are suffering financially with the impacts of, of COVID-19 and the closure of borders and really just raise the awareness of being energy conscious and, and, and helping raise energy awareness with everyone here. Um, so with uh, businesses who are trying to save money and save the environment and kind of cut down on the on the electricity consumption, carbon audits is one great way to, to do that. One of the outcomes with a carbon audit is the energy that you are planning to save and offset. We will plant trees to help you offset your carbon emissions and, and ensure that 
you know, this is your commitment to the environment by if you follow these steps and at these recommendations in the carbon audit, you will help the environment and also help your business financially. Um, and so I guess like with the carbon audits project, even though we're still in the initial stages, we have high hopes for it because we have the support of the Samoan government. We have a lot of donor agencies having these commitments and having these funds available. Just with the previous question with global leaders not really committing, um, we're thankful that there are you know organizations here committed financially in supporting these climate initiatives, uh, not just on a national scale, but here looking at grassroots level and village level. And so even though this is a start for Global Shapers, um, starting since 2019, there is a lot of potential to expand on, on carbon audits and also reach into different areas of climate change. Thank you so much for being here. It's been really great. It's been very interesting to learn more about this. I've definitely learned a lot. Yeah, thank you for having me, and uh, I hope my uh, the information that I presented helps someone if they're listening. Are there any resources you'd recommend for people who want to learn more about this? Yeah, um, so if you want to learn a little bit more about the company that I'm working for, which is EPC, the Electric Power Corporation of Samoa, uh, we have a Facebook page, we have a website, so I guess you can just Google Electric Power Corporation of Samoa, also Global Shapers. RPA Hub. And actually, Nick is one of our global climate ambassadors, and he'll be hosting some of these podcasts in the future. So you can all look out for that.